Hi, I'm Andrea. And I'm Jennifer. We're two women who met through our love of writing and our shared experiences with grief. What began as a commonality with loss evolved into a beautiful friendship that has taken our grief and shown us how God's glory can come from it. Through our many conversations, we've learned that there's so much more to the grieving process than meets the eye, and we want to explore that with you and share not just our experiences, but the experiences of others from a faith perspective. We hope you will join us on this journey to morning glory. Welcome, friends, to the Morning Glory podcast, where we share our journeys of loss, faith, and hope. I'm Jennifer Thomas, and with me is my co-host, Andrea Bear. How's it going, Andrea? I'm good, Jen. How's everything going in your neck of the woods? Everything is going pretty well. I'm excited because the weather seems to finally be cooling off, and the humidity here in Georgia is finally starting to decrease although it's probably going to jump up just because that's how Georgia weather seems to be. Anything going on with you lately? You know, we're having, we're having a little bit of a change of weather too, which is kind of nice, you know, here in California. Um, where I live, we don't have the four seasons. We kind of skip over the snow part, which I'm not complaining at all. But at the same time, um, I'm, okay, confession, I am a pumpkin spice girl. Sorry. I know there's some people are haters, but I love my pumpkin spice. And so the season just changed. Like the last couple of days, the weather has started to shift and I am just so happy because it's just kind of bringing it all together. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this, this change into the seasons. Well, while we're speaking of change in seasons, you know, whenever we think about changes in seasons. There are so many different seasons in life that we experience. And unfortunately, some of these seasons have to do obviously with loss, especially here on the Morning Glory podcast. And today we're going to be discussing the topic of what it's like to lose a close friend. Um, I, I actually remember my first experience at losing a close friend, and this was many years ago you know, some of the things that we're hoping to talk to um, our guests today with is thinking about how grief is different whenever it's a friend as opposed to maybe a family member or a pet. You know, when it's a close friend, how does it feel different? What are some of the ways grief is different? And how do you cope, especially when the person wasn't just a part of your life, but probably a part of your entire family's life. So there are so many different facets to it. And what are some of the things that we can do to remember those we've lost and ways we can find healing or even some tips that can help us along the way? Today, we have a special guest with us, Kate Wicker, and she's here going to help us explore some of these questions and more. Kate is a wife, a mom of five, living faith contributor, and the author of Getting Past Perfect, Finding Joy and Grace in the Messiness of Motherhood. She is also award winner from the Catholic Press Association for this book in 2018. She's also written the book Weightless, Making Peace with Your Body. Kate is a frequent speaker at conferences and retreats, as well as a monthly guest contributor to Relevant Radio. Kate is currently working on her first novel, 
From her home in Georgia, Kate strives every single imperfect day to strike a balance between keeping it real and keeping it joyful. I love it. To learn more about her writing and life, please visit katewicker.com or follow her along not-so-curated Instagram feed at katewicker. Kate, welcome to the Morning Glory podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a joy to have you, and um, I just love your intro, how raw and how real it is. I love it. Well, if I don't keep it real, then I I just think authenticity is just so critically important in this day of curated social media. So that's why I say my not so curated, you'll always see some sort of funny pictures. And if the listeners could see right now, my background, my very cluttered dresser, having moved a, a college, a child to college and just having some of her stuff. And oh, it's been a, a messy few weeks, that's for sure. <laughs> and that in itself brings on a whole other type of grief. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Absolutely. Which means we should not expect to see any Photoshop fails on your Instagram feed. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Kate, um, well, I want to thank you for joining us and for our listeners out there just Just so you all know, I have been a fan of Kate's work and have been following her for quite some time, not in like any kind of stalkerish kind of way, (laughs) but Justin, Justin, I appreciate, you know, her honesty and her authenticity. And one of the things that I did very early on after reading her books, because I have read both of them, I subscribed to your newsletter and I knew it had been a while since I had seen anything posted, Kate. So I want to say it was maybe about a month ago that I saw your most recent post that I came across. And, you know, I was sad to hear about the reasoning why it had been so long. So would you like to share with our listeners a little more about that? And I am a newsletter slacker for myriad reasons. It's certainly what we're talking about today certainly came into play. Um, But also just the season of motherhood I'm in um, with older children. It's just been kind of, I feel, I truly feel like a glorified Uber driver. So just the the going back and forth. But um, yeah, recently, and this was something that was kind of hard to process in a lot of ways. When my children were young, I shared a lot because they were little And then I shared a lot about friends, shared a lot about what was going on in my life. But now that I'm I'm in my 40s and I have three teenagers and a tween and then just one little one, um, I feel like I can't sometimes openly share as much. And so this particular thing that I did not, I I mentioned briefly in my newsletter, but now I I have a blessing to share from the family and everything. Um, But I lost a very, very close friend of mine. Um, She, I've known her since middle school. And it was kind of a funny story because she knew me better than I knew her in middle school. Um, uh, We went to a very big school but she remembers when I ran for class president, which was a very um, daring thing to do. She said she could tell I had a lot of moxie because I was not exactly the most popular kid in middle school, had this horrible perm and braces and just, you know, I just wasn't one of the cool kids. But, and I ran against the most popular cheerleader, my nemesis, I guess you could say. (laughs) But um, we had to do a little video and 
when I did my video, I got up there. This was the George Bush era. And I said, read my lips, no more homework. And then I said, just kidding. I can't make that promise, but here's what I can do. And Misty told me that she was watching and she said, wow, I need to be friends with that girl. She's really brave. And um, so we, we then met in eighth grade and she, I did not win spoiler alert, the election. Um, but then when we were in high school, we became um, very good friends. We had a lot of the same classes together. And she was just one of those friends that, um, you know, it's hard in high school and middle school, sometimes when you're trying to find your way and find who you are as a person, as a Catholic, as a woman, all these different sort of identities. And I really struggled. I couldn't decide where I fit in. And she was just a friend where I could just be my goofy, nerdy self. And she just accepted me for exactly who I was. And we had so many adventures and we we kept in touch for a very long time. Um, she was one of my bridesmaids when I got married. And then um, I was one of her bridesmaids. She got married quite a bit later and ended up leading a very different life than I did. Um, her and her husband never had children and he was a musician. She worked for Yelp for a while and they lived in Vegas and they traveled all over the world. And then she went back to school and became a professor at Vanderbilt. And here I was, you know, with five kids kind of living the mom thing, but we had so much in common, um, despite having very different lives. And even if I hadn't seen her for a while or, or talked to her for a while, she was the kind of friend that I could just pick up the phone and, um, catch up. And it was like no time had passed. Um, and we would periodically get to see each other because her family was still back in Georgia. And um, it was just such a blessing. And when I hit my 40s, a lot of my friends' parents, you know, uh, we actually lost my father-in-law and some other people, some parents started getting sick or dying. But I never really, I just felt way too young to have someone in my peer group um, get sick and eventually pass away. Um, she was diagnosed with breast cancer right before COVID. So it was a very hard time to be sick, as you might imagine. And um, we would have these little uh, COVID Zoom happy hours <laughs> with my husband and her husband and her and, and talk over Zoom. And she was doing really, really well. Um, but I knew because my husband, he actually ironically specializes in breast cancer. And he knew that the type she had, um, I believe it was called triple negative. I'm not a doctor, so don't quote me on that. But it was a kind that he knew that sometimes isn't as responsive to treatment. But she was doing great. And so we had um, a lot of hope. And then when COVID was over, I actually went to go see her along with my oldest. She toured Vanderbilt and we spent the weekend um, with Misty and her husband, Bobby. And she said she, was, she looked great and she seemed very high spirits. And I, I said, you know, I heard that you were having some chronic pain though from another friend of ours. She said, yeah, my rib cage has just been really, really hurting me. Um, but my oncologist, and she went to very good physicians through Vanderbilt, um, just didn't thought it was probably post-surgical pain or something like that. And she, this was the spring of um, 2021, no, 2022. I'm sorry, my dates are all. And um, she she said that she, you know, she just wasn't sure what to do because it was hurting her. And she's a tough cookie. She'd just been through cancer treatment. So I said, well, well, you should call Dave. And she was a good friend with Dave. I failed to mention, um, Dave went to my high school too, my husband, and we dated kind of briefly, but Misty, Dave and I were all on the mock trial team. 
And we actually won the national title. So we kind of put Snellville on the map. And I remember our girl basketball team had won state or something, and they were honoring both of us. And the girl basketball players were like, whatever, you guys were just you know mock trial. And Misty said, yeah, but you only won the state title. That's as far as you went. We won the national title. So the nerds came on top once again. Um, but uh, Misty was good friends with Dave, too. And in fact, the reason I'm married to Dave is because of Misty, because we were hanging out after college and she suggested we call him and I never would have called him. I didn't even have his number still. And so that's why, yeah, we're together. But um, long story short, the um, rib cage pain, Dave said she should probably get some more imaging and her cancer had metastasized and was in her, um, all over her body. The scan just lit up. Um and then once again, though, she seemed to be having some really successful treatment and then had um, several clear scans. Dave and I went to see her and her husband in the fall of 2022. And, um, you know, we thought she'd beat it. I mean, her oncologist was like, sometimes this beep works. <laughs> I don't know if we have young listeners, but, you know, he was um, just very excited that he hadn't seen a response this great. And so we had an amazing weekend with them in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and so I honestly thought everything was okay. And that I had this whole lifetime, they had asked us on a lot of trips and they were always asking and I was always pregnant again. And so we can never make these trips work. But then that weekend we said, okay, we're going to make a, her husband's quite a bit older. So he was turning 50 and we're like, we're going to go for Bobby's 50th on a trip together. And and I really thought we would have that opportunity. But as we know that um, sometimes life doesn't work out the way we hoped or planned. Yeah, it sounds like that time that you had together really was a blessing and something that all of you needed. And somehow, you know, God knew that you guys needed that time together. I'm so, so, so thankful for that weekend because what ultimately happened is I talked to her on her birthday in February, 2023, and she had had what she thought was another clean scan. And then in early March, Bobby called us. Her, so her birthday was February 23rd that she had had a stroke. And at first I was very confused. I didn't realize it had anything to do with the, the cancer, but it turns out it was in her brain. And my husband knowing about it said that certain imaging doesn't always show that. So, um, and I made plans to go see her then. This was on the weekend, on a Friday. And she ended up, um, I got a call from Bobby that Thursday and um, she had passed away. So I had written her this long letter because she wasn't completely cognizant after the stroke, but I was going to read it to her. And then I, I kept apologizing to Bobby that I hadn't been there for him, her and I hadn't gone on all these trips. And I'll never forget, he stopped me and he said, you and Dave gave us the best weekend we'd had in years that weekend. And so I'm so thankful that we were able, um, you know, to make that work because it could have been tempting to say, oh, well, she's better now. Maybe we'll wait till it's a little bit more convenient or, you know, whatever. But we just, um, we made it happen. And I do, I, I cherish that, that weekend. And, and as hard as it was, um, to not be able to say goodbye. Bobby said over and over that it's nice that I have the memory of her from the weekend I saw her and not from her in the hospital after the stroke because he said it was pretty hard to see. Oh, wow. I love that you are sharing this and, you know, that this is 
this is a very special moment for you. I think it's very, we can sometimes imagine that like when we say goodbye to a loved one, that there has to be this perfect moment or we have to prepare. And sometimes we don't know when our last goodbye is. So the fact that you had this special opportunity, that in itself, and, and like your husband said, and, and, and her husband, you know, that that made such a difference and such a special memory that you all could share. No, definitely. And this isn't the only time like God, it's so crazy. Sometimes you don't recognize it in the moment because you are grieving and you're not really thinking about it. But my father-in-law very unexpectedly died. We didn't know he had any heart issues or anything of a heart attack in his sixties. And it was so crazy because he wasn't, he was, I was very close to him and he was one to text and call, but he never really sent emails. And he had sent me an email right before he passed away. That was just such a funny email. Cause we always teased him for wearing white tennis shoes with like his outfits, but white, as we know, white tennis <laughs> shoes are popular now and were popular yep. then too. And he was, he sent me this like link to this fashion magazine, which is so not like pop and was like, well, it appears I'm on trend. And I've just like treasured that email. (laughs) And then what was really crazy is after he passed away, none of us had known he had made each of us, each family. So Dave's sister, my family, his wife, my Nana, um, uh, an album with pictures and from throughout the years. And they actually came on the day of his memorial in the mail. And none of us had even, you know, known. So when you have like little things like that, that, um, you know, that I I suppose people could chalk up to coincidence or whatever. I just really think it is God's hand um, helping you heal and helping you, you know, take a deep breath and know that um, as, as, as Catholics, hope is, uh, I've written about this before, but hope is not just this like glittery unicorn that, you know, we chase in the sky. It's a, it's a true virtue and something that we have even in the darkest moments and God gives us these little glimpses of it. Um, like a funny, you know, fashion post <laughs> linked from your father-in-law who, um, or, you know, that, that just such a perfect visit visit with Misty and Bobby, where we were able to talk about everything. I mean, I remember with Misty, I wasn't sure if she'd want to talk about the cancer because, you know, when you have, a diagnosis as devastating as that, it becomes sort of your life. You're managing your doctor's appointments, you're, you're managing your work. And I didn't know if she'd kind of want a break from that. So I told her at the very beginning of the trip that I was here to see her and Bobby. I wanted to have fun, but I also was there for her. So I was going to follow her lead. If she brought up the big C word and wanted to talk about it, wanted to talk about, you know, how she was feeling um, about everything then I would be there. And as it turns out, it she didn't talk about it right away. And then we were having a glass of wine out on her little um, uh, uh, porch and she just opened up about it. And I listened and we talked. So I think that was beautiful because we were able to talk about everything from silly high school memories and the time I visited her. She went to Wellesley up north and I visited her. And I remember I was like, I'm going to meet a Harvard boy. Like that was like my goal. And epic fail. I ended up, Dave ended up calling me actually while I was there. So I ended up with him. So it was all good. But um, yeah, just kind of the funny memories we had um, together. And um, it was just such a blessing. And we were able to talk about the serious and also the lighthearted and ate really good food. And so I'm so thankful for that. Because again, I think that was just sort of a divine nudge, something that I can um, 
return to when I find myself uh, missing her. Because I know we're talking a lot about the difference between losing a friend. And I think one thing that I've experienced versus losing a family member versus a friend is there's two sort of things. One thing is, is certainly there have been days I've woken up where I'm like, oh, I thought of Pop. And then I'm like, oh yeah, Pop's not here. But for someone who wasn't, this wasn't a local friend. So Missy and I had lived apart for a while. Sometimes it's much harder to remember that she's gone, if that makes any sense. Like I'll, I'll think, oh, I'm going to call Missy this week or send a card. And, and then I'm like, it, it just hits you a little bit harder because you were kind of used to living this long distance relationship, yet you always knew she was in the world there for you. You always like knew that. And now there's this like misty shaped hole um, void in my heart. And it's just a little bit different. And then the other big thing is, and this might just be me because I tend to have guilt over everything, but I just, I I felt like I didn't really deserve a long grieving process. Like I thought that belonged more to her mother and her husband and that I just needed to, you know, be strong and kind of just go on. And I know I shared this with you guys before um, this interview this talk I was on a run one day and I um fairly recently a few weeks ago and I was I was telling one of my friends that I just don't know I've just been so tired and I've just had a hard time lately and I just haven't really felt like doing things like even running's not bringing me as much joy and one of my very perceptive friends who I've only known since I've lived in Athens is not like a lifelong friend but is still a good friend and knew of course that I'd lost Misty even though I didn't talk a whole lot about it said well, of course you feel that way. You're grieving. And it just kind of, at first I thought like of arguing with her, but then I realized that no, like I wasn't giving myself the space to grieve, the same sort of space to grieve as I did, for instance, when my father-in-law died or, um, you know, if one of my parents died or uh, uh, someone, you know, my husband, something awful like that. I think we just kind of know then we need the space, but when it's a good friend, we kind of are thinking more about, like I said, their spouse and their mother. And the, and so we may feel like we um, are not worthy <laughs> of the feelings we're feeling, if that makes any sense. It actually does. And, you know, one thing that both Andrea and I have both learned through our own personal experiences is that everyone grieves differently. And we we actually were fortunate enough to have been guests on a podcast. And it came to me that the way we grieve is just as unique as our fingerprints. You know, we we all have a very unique fingerprint that belongs to us and nobody else. And that follows in terms of kind of the same way as how we grieve as individuals. And sometimes it's hard to give yourself permission to grieve, especially when it's someone, you know, like a very good friend. And like you said, you feel like, you know, well, I, I don't deserve to be feeling as much grief as I do because that grief is reserved for their spouse or if they have children, any of those things. But I do think it's important. And even for all of our listeners out there to, you know, to know that, that it's okay to grieve how you need to, you know, to feel as much as you need to feel. We give you permission to grieve. Sometimes you just need someone to to grant you that permission. And 
So we here at the Morning Glory podcast, we officially grant you permission to grieve when and how you feel you need to. You've been knighted, Kate. You can grieve however you like. (laughs) Thank you so much. And you know, it's interesting because I do, I've realized as I've um, matured and grown older and gotten to know myself better, that when I'm stressed, when I grieve any of these things, it's psychosomatic for me. So I do feel it in my body a lot of times. So even if emotionally I'm over, I'm able to kind of push through things and I'm not crying all the time. I realize I, I feel more tired. I feel achy. And so you don't always recognize that at first as a link to grief. So if you're, if you are grieving out there and you're like, Oh, what is, gosh, what is wrong with me? I can't get out of bed. Or I, you know, it, it's, it's tiring to sweep the floor to pick up a child now or whatever. Um, that's, can very much, very might be grief. And so give yourself the grace that you might be feeling it physically as well as emotionally. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of what you pointed out that, you know, you might not have been a sibling or a parent or connected to, to Misty in like in the family dynamic, you still experience those, those elements of loss. I heard someone say a while ago, there was this family that was arguing after the loss of their loved one. And they said, you know, there's not a competition in grief. It's not like I get the better, you know, I'm the one that gets to grieve the most or the least. It really is about the love that is shared with between the loved ones. And, you know, um, as Jennifer was saying, you know, we've experienced this before. And even in our own families, how you grieve for a loved one looks very different among your relatives among siblings. So it it really, you know, allowing yourself and and then mentioning what you mentioned about some of those symptoms that you experience. A lot of times we, we don't know that our body is going through that. And so our bodies are the best indicators to point those things out. I remember uh, the first year after my mom died, uh, somebody recommended getting massages. And I just thought that was the dumbest thing ever. And then when I went and got one, it removed all those toxins. And so mm-hmm. it didn't take away the grief, but it certainly helped just normalize my be able to function, you know? So I think yeah. there's a lot of validity of what you're saying. And what you were saying about grieving differently, I had to really learn about that um, with the passing of Misty. Um, there was another really good friend in our, so we were sort of like the three amigos. And again, we were, her, her Misty's mom and I are, still very close. We actually um, had, we call her Mama Jo. Um, We had Mama Jo over for dinner um, a few weeks back um, because I wanted to minister to her. You know, I think initially when you lose someone, everyone, you know, you're getting the flowers, you're getting the meals. And then a few months later, it's like, I still don't have this person I love and I'm supposed to, everyone else has moved on. So we wanted to make sure that she knew we were caring about her, but we were kind of laughing about this trio, this this trio of ours, because um, we were all so different. Um, the other friend has four kids, and I have five kids, and then Misty didn't have any kids. But then the friend that has the four kids and I, we both loved to exercise, and Misty just could never figure that out. She's like, the only time I will sweat is if I dance. Like, I'm never going to. So we were just all three very different. And I found that our grieving after we lost Misty, um, my good friend has always been someone who kind of gathers the troops and says, okay, we're going to do this and plans things and wants to, you know, kind of go out. And I knew I'm a little more, um, 
I kind of withdraw a lot of times when I grief and I, I want to be just with like my husband or my family. And she kind of was reaching out to people from high school that I didn't even know how to spell Misty's name correctly. Like hers is M-I-S-T-I and they were spelling it with Y. And I remember at first it made me kind of mad because I was just like, why is she doing this? Like, it's not about her and blah, blah, blah. And so we had, um, and then she was kind of hurt because I knew about the stroke before she did. And I didn't call her right away. Um, it was kind of a difficult situation because the husband confided in me and he said he didn't want, because she was in the academic world, um, she didn't want this to be broadcast right away in case, you know, there was a long treatment because people can have perceptions, of, especially about a young person having a stroke. Uh -huh. Ultimately, she uh, sadly, you know, but anyway, so we weren't grieving the right way. We were both doing things different. So we had to have a heart to heart and, I would say that we, as tragic as this is, we are closer now even than we were before um, because we both realized that she needed to gather everybody around her and to get busy doing something to deal with her grief. And I was kind of like the tortured artist who wanted to listen to sad songs and write in my journal and didn't want anyone to know. And um, that's okay because that's what we both, and we're both very... Um, prayerful people. And so she wanted to pray with everybody and I wanted to pray by myself, you know, so, but that's, that's fine. There's no, there's no competition. There's no right or wrong way. And we were able to talk it out and love each other through our individual ways of grieving this mutual friend who meant so much to us and to give each, to give one another grace for um, what, what each of us had to do to deal with these heavy feelings. You know, I think that's beautiful. The fact that, you know, you had this mutual friend um, with Misty, that the two of you grew closer through your grief and that your relationship is now stronger. And, you know, I kind of wonder if maybe Misty had a part in that, you know, because we and our Catholic faith we believe in saints and we believe in all these intercessory powers. And now that you both don't physically have Misty, it's a way for you to be closer and to be stronger for each other and to be there for each other. So I, I think there's just a lot of beauty in that. And the fact that you both came to the conclusion that, okay, we yeah. need to talk this out. Like, you know, I'm grieving my way, you're grieving your way. The way we are both doing is okay. It, it didn't jive with each of us in terms of how we personally feel, but it yeah. was what was best for us. And so I think that's just something that is really profound and good for us all to remember that, you know, it isn't just us who are grieving, it's others and just respecting how we all process our emotions. My good friend told me that when her father died unexpectedly um, at the wake, um, one of her aunts, who was this big, colorful personality <laughs> that wore like bright pink lipstick and just kind of entered a room and everyone looked, but she, she tripped and fell down the stairs and she was okay. But my friend said, I started laughing and could not stop laughing. And everyone was looking at me like, what is wrong with her? Her father just died. And she she told me that it gave her so much empathy for people because she had all of these big feelings that she, you know, she was a freshman in college when he died. And so she wasn't quite sure how to process it. And it came out in laughter at that moment. And she's so thankful for her Aunt Becky now. She talks about her, you know, 
big Aunt Becky with her big hair from Texas and how she gave her that moment to, it was cathartic, even though it wasn't tears. What everybody expected from the daughter wasn't the feelings that she gave, but they were just as validating. That's totally like still Magnolias. I just think of that scene at the very end, you know, yes. where they're like, you know, hit Weezer, you know. So I, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but I, I no. you're right. It, yeah. it lightens up sometimes that moment when we just really need to release. So I love it. My mom said the same thing. She lost her mom when she was 16. And I can't remember what it was, but she said she got the giggles, you know, at the funeral. And she felt awful because she was extremely close to her mom. But she knew that it was just she'd been crying for so, so long that all of a sudden there was. And if you think about it, like extreme laughter and extreme sadness, they're, they're kind of similar when you have that, like where you can't stop laughing or you can't stop crying. It's almost like an out-of-body emotional experience. So you can certainly see how people, when they're grieving, sometimes unexpected things will come out. And that's the other thing I realized um, with Misty. I, um, I had to talk at her um, memorial and I cried a little bit then. I cried like crazy when Bobby told me. But then when they had um, a... a wake for the family beforehand. And I saw Mama Jo for the first time. My other good friend and her were just, we were all three hugging and they were shaking with tears. And I can remember in that moment saying, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Where are my tears? Where are my tears? Where are my tears? And it, there's no emotional shaming. Okay. When you're grieving, don't emotionally shame yourself because the way you are appearing on the outside, whatever, whether there are tears or not, that is not indicative of the hollowness you feel and how much you loved that person. So just know that, that, you know, the tears will come when they need to. My husband, he's never cried until his dad died and he just couldn't stop crying. And so, um, you know, that's what he needed at that moment. And I can remember being like, ha, I'm the, the emotional one. And now I'm not crying, but he told me afterwards how, um, I was such a rock to him and he's always been such a rock to me. So I think sometimes our grieving compliments, the people we love the most too. Um, so that's really wonderful advice. And I think that, you know, when we talk about there's no wrong or right way to grieve, those are some good examples of how, you know, um, we don't always have to have this mourning or forlorn experience that sometimes, you know, that just helps us kind of get through things. So yeah. now I understand that you um, are a lifelong runner and um, you are in a running club. Is that right? Well, it's a, it's not an official club, but yes, I mean, I've been, since I've moved here, it's been for about 12 years now, I've been running. Some of the people are no longer running. Um, cause as we get older, some of us start to drop off, but cause sometimes I, I'm, I'm like, why does my club. body feel like this? <laughs> I am totally part of that club. I used to run. I did yeah. half marathons yeah. in those days, yeah. long gone. And I don't yeah. run those days anymore. I'll no, no. Um, but, but I have um, a group. Yes. And um, there's something about running and I'm sure uh, some of our listeners have perhaps something else that is like that maybe they, when they're knitting and their hands are busy, they can just let it all out. But there's something about running. I always say that running can be therapeutic, but don't let running be your therapy. Because for a long time, I'd say running is my therapy. And then I realized, hmm. I actually think I need some real therapy too. Um, but it is very therapeutic. You can um, just sometimes things just the words flow just as your feet are going. Um, in our little group, uh, there's two of us that 
that end up talking a lot. Um, surprise, one of them is me. And then one of them is uh, someone else. And the other ones always say, oh, thank God, you guys talk so much. You make the miles go by so much more quickly. So anyway, so I'm kind of a, a talker, but it 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 has helped me um, process things. And these uh, good friends of mine that I basically, two of them, one of them I'm friends with outside of running, but two of them are really just running friends. Like I meet them to run and then we go off and do our own thing. But they really got to know Misty through her, both her diagnosis and then my visit and some of my funny stories. Another really funny story is, is our high school did Allison in Wonderland and Misty um, had dark, dark black hair and was like 5'8". And I had blonde hair and blue eyes. And I was like, I'm going to get Alice. I'm going to get Alice. So excited. She got Alice. And I remember being like, oh, and I got the Dormouse. And it was a children's production. And so I had this little squeaky dormouse voice. And somehow Misty said, she, Mama Joe was telling me this. She said, Misty came home. She's like, somehow the dormouse stole the show. Like she always does. <laughs> and so we just kind of joked because her little nieces, I mean, not nieces and nephews, her cousins all wanted to get the dormouse's autograph or whatever. And Alice is sitting here like, come on, I was Alice. But, um, and she was great. Don't get me wrong in the play. So, um, but I had told my running friends stories like this. And so they really got to know her through that. And then when she passed away, something that was really neat that her husband did, and he's kind of technical, he created this Misty Palooza little website. And then because he's a musician did like a gathering, a Misty Palooza where people gathered together and wore bright colors oh, and beautiful on the website, he had people share pictures and it was so neat to see the people that she'd met in different stages of her life. Um, cause there was one friend that had been a childhood friend. So from like babies on because their moms went to nursing school together and then next came in that good friend of mine you know we're middle school friends and our pictures and so then I shared this link with my running friends so they and they said thank you so much because now we get to put a face with this beautiful Misty you've talked about and I just thought that was such a neat thing that her husband did because somehow I got to know people like I never got out she lived in Las Vegas for years and met friends there and I never got out there to meet those friends but through these pictures and you could share little stories. You kind of got to know the people um, through different seasons of uh, her life. And I just thought that is a beautiful thing because we keep people alive in our hearts by talking about them and sharing stories and to have this kind of, um, it was a way to use the internet for the good um, and, you know, social media for the good um, by having this beautiful place for us to share misty memories and photos and then me using it to share with some of my friends. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome. You know, pictures, I think about all the pictures that I take of my kids and I don't even know how many photos I have in my Google Photos account right now because it's it's a lot. <laughs> and the idea of organizing all of them is crazy. But I also think about the fact that, you know, I have these photos that I've that I've taken and I have a lot of pictures from my parents' photo albums and and looking through some of those and having you know those memories to look back on and think that's part of why i know for me i take a lot of pictures because it's what i want my kids to have are are those memories and so the fact that you know misty has been put um all of these things together and brought all of these people together i I really want yeah. to see this Misty Palooza thing right now because it just sounds like it was amazing and just a beautiful tribute to her and her life as a whole. And that it was something that, you know, brought joy to such a somber event 
but it reminded everyone, it sounds like, of just the joy that it sounds like she brought to everyone's lives. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so important. And when you were talking about your children, too, what was kind of unique about this situation is they had met Misty briefly a few times, um, but they are now my three older girls are the age I was when I was really good friends with her. And so after she died, I remember I went up to my um, oldest daughter's room. This was before she'd left for college, obviously. And all three girls happened to be, you know, they always complain about having to share a room and then they always end up in the same bedroom talking to each other anyways. So they were all on the bed and I got up there and I just started sharing funny stories and you know, of course, our high tech teenagers get a kick of the old pictures from the 90s. And actually, my oldest is very into film camera now because it's, oh, it's so cool. Because <laughs> they got sick of all the digital stuff. But, um, and, and to show these pictures and things from they're kind of living it right now. And um, to see their mom as a teenager and doing these things with this good friend. And then another thing, the the trio, the good friend that I mentioned, when I got married, she had, I had five bridesmaids. And I'm one of those people that some people have a huge bridal party, but my friends that I had were all still, one was my best friend from college. And then um, three very good childhood friends. And then my um, future sister-in-law. So they're all people that I'm still very much in touch with. But my friend had each of them write a letter and put pictures and did like a scrapbook of um, memories around our friendship. And I reread Misty's letter and it was just so beautiful that I have that because I could hear her voice because people don't really write letters as much anymore. And I could hear her joking voice. She was a, she rolled her eyes a lot in a loving and affectionate way, but I could just picture her eye roll. And it was just such a beautiful thing. And then one of my daughters has, I've always told her, has Misty's laugh. And it was kind of a <laughs> kind of laugh. And so every time my 16-year-old daughter laughs now, I think of Misty and my adventures and her laughter. So it's, it's another kind of gift I think God gave me um, just to keep her, keep her memory alive and keep me thinking of her. That is so sweet that like, just the fact that, you know, you have one of your children who has the same laughter as your best friend. So I think that's pretty cool. Well, I know well, Kate, one of the things that we try to do here at the podcast is we have um, a special Bible verse that we like to think of. I guess you could say maybe um, it's our mantra or something, but is there a particular Bible verse that has helped you through this season of grief and find healing or just one that has helped bring comfort to you? Yeah, one of my favorite um, verses uh, for any time, I mean, it, it certainly has meant a lot um, whenever I've lost someone or I'm in, a, in the grieving process, but also of sort of a um, chronic Eeyore, um, I just have more of a melancholic heart. So this verse has always um, spoken to me and it's um, John chapter 16, verse 20. Um, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. And I just think the pain turning into joy, we can... That's one reason I like to run marathons is because um, there is a lot of pain in the process, but then crossing the finish line is like the most unbelievable um, uh, kind of joy. And any of your listeners who are mothers too, I think we can all relate to labor and the pain and then the joy. I do admit my last uh, marathon, I guess, because I'm older, I was running and I was thinking, 
man, at the end of labor, I get a baby and all I'm going to get is a banana at the end of this. Why am I doing this? But anyways, um, because people compare it. It's like, oh, it's a little bit better to get a baby than a banana and a medal. But um, so, but I think when we're going through these, um, these horrible moments, um, and like I said, you can't always see God's hand in the moment. And I think when you are ministering to someone who is grieving, it's important not to say, oh, this is part of God's plan and to say some of those trite things because they need to figure that out on their own and people will see God's hand later in it. But just knowing that our religion, um, you know, as um, Blessed Pope John Paul II used to say, we are an Easter people. We're not a Lent people. <laughs> We're an Easter people. And so we believe in that joy um, and that no matter how hard life is, you you may right now be in a passion, um, just like Jesus was. And you may be saying, I need help. Take this away from me. Uh, this is awful. Um, but there will be joy. And there are also a lot of people to help you out. I've said that grief is like a sledgehammer and you sometimes don't know when it's going to hit. You can be doing fine and then bam. But there are people and there's your faith and there are things that can help soften the blow. So don't be afraid um, to reach out to those and to ask for help. What beautiful advice. I think that's really special. Um, You know, and everybody does it again differently and you don't always have to have the right comforting words and be the person that they have to, you don't have to control their grief, allow them to figure it out for yourself. So very excellent advice. We have a section that we call our morning glory. And uh, for our listeners, this is a point where we go through kind of our highs and lows and experience those struggles that we've gone through and then how God has shown us the joy through that. So do you have a morning glory, Kate? Um, I think my morning glory, I've really just started um, to open up more about this. Um, I, for a long time, uh, struggled with different things like uh, my kid, my parents said I was always a perfectionist and then I had an eating disorder and then I had postpartum depression after my third child and all these different things. And I used to just think I was just such a mess and what's wrong with me. And um, it took a pretty major depressive break for me to realize that um, to get officially diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder as well as major depressive disorder and that my brain, for whatever reason, just doesn't always make enough of those happy, feel good kind of things. And for a long time, I felt weak and like I needed to fix it. And sometimes I wonder if I hadn't been married to the right husband, how awful it could have been. But my husband is just so supportive and just has always reminded me that um, I have a sister-in-law with type one diabetes and we, nobody would shame her for having to take insulin because her body doesn't, her pancreas doesn't make it. So he has helped me so much. And then it has really helped me to say, you know what, I'm going to talk about that. I go see a therapist. Cause sometimes people are like, what, like you, you seem like you have it all together. And I've realized that, um, uh, mental health, a lot of us are really good at hiding that we're going through something and I, I don't want to hide anymore. And I want to reduce the stigma. And I think in Christian circles, it's even more necessary because I have been told not lately, but sometimes when I was struggling that I needed to pray harder, or if I had a stronger faith, um, and yes, God comes to heal the sick, but, uh, I think he also gave us some great 
positions and some great resources in our life to help us. And so I, I don't any longer have any shame. And I, I feel like this is my little way to give back that I didn't have a horribly hap, um, tragic ending and that God has given me so many second chances. And I've seen now that so many people in my family, it's very genetic um, from aunts and uncles and on have suffered unnecessarily. So um, just to kind of talk out about it and let you know that if your heart is hurting and, um, you know, sometimes when you have grief, like you've lost someone, then you think, okay, it's okay that I'm hurting right now. But then when you're living this charmed life with healthy children and, um, you know, I once jokingly said to my husband, I mean, how could I say to Jesus, oh, Jesus, no human has ever suffered as much as I am. That's obviously not true. But so I felt all this guilt, but don't compare crosses. Don't minimize your cross. Um, it's kind of like the rate of perceived exertion, bringing it back to exercise. If you think something is hard, like one day you might be doing the elliptical trainer and it feels easy. And then the next day your legs feel like lead. You don't know why, but it feels hard. So if something is hard for you, it's hard and don't be afraid to ask for help. And if there are people who judge you or shame you for feeling these feelings, then you need to seek other people who will be there for you and who will offer you empathy and love no matter what you're going through. I love that. Kate, thank you so much for sharing that. We appreciate your vulnerability because it takes a lot to put something like that out there into the world. And we're just so grateful to you for sharing not only about this part of your life, but also for sharing with us about Misty. And one of the things that we like to do here on the Morning Glory podcast is we like to pray for the intentions of our guests and listeners. So today we would like to say a prayer for Misty, Kate's friend, and also for her father-in-law, Jerry Wicker. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. Let the petrol light shine upon them. May the soul of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. 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 All right. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us today on the Morning Glory podcast. We hope that you'll continue to find comfort and support in the shows that we bring you as we continue on our journey to one day be reunited with God. I'm Jennifer Thomas. And I'm Andrea Bear. Until we meet again, God bless. Thank you for listening to the Morning Glory podcast. If you'd like to hear more episodes, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other podcast platforms. You can also check out our Facebook and Instagram pages at Morning Glory Podcast or send us an email at morningglorypodcast at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-G-L-O-R-Y podcast at gmail.com. Until we meet again, God bless.